Hi there. Welcome. I'm Fran Costigan. I want to welcome to you all to the September live event. I kind of choked on the word September because it's hard for me to believe that's where we are already. People who know me know that I love summer and um, I appreciate the fall and things about the fall, but I really, it takes me a little while because I do miss summer. That said, I this has nothing to do with anything except to tell you a little bit about myself. And I think what happens when you eat seasonally, but I, the tomatoes this summer, the heirloom tomatoes that were available at my farmer's market on my terrace and in my daughter's garden were just incredible. They were maybe the best tomatoes I've had in in years. It might feel that way every year. They were wonderful. So I would slice up a big heirloom and think what I would do with it. And in many cases, it never even got off the cutting board. I just ate these wonderful tomatoes. So I have one left, just one left. And suddenly, maybe we've had a few gray and rainy days in Philadelphia where the temperature dropped. Suddenly, I wanted butternut squash and a dookie. There's a macrobiotic dish called the dookie squash kombu that I like when the seasons change. And that's what it is. Um, I think that when we take care of making our own food, when we eat seasonally, our cravings naturally become in line with the seasons. So I do welcome you to this September live event. It For those of you who come to some of my live events more regularly, this probably looks a bit different. I am usually in my chef coat and in my kitchen, but today as it is office hours, I decided to be in my office as it is. Um, last week, I had a wonderful time in New York City at the Javits Center at the Plant-Based World Expo, which is the only one of the food shows that is 100% completely plant-based slash vegan, whichever term you used. And I really had a great time seeing what's new, visiting with some of my longtime friends. I got to see our Chad Sarno, the chef who created the plant-based pro program. And now he's got Wicked Healthy and Good Catch, Good Catch just merged to Wicked Healthy, so I can tell you that. I also tasted the Wicked Healthy Foods vegan ice cream, which was incredible. And there's a secret to that ice cream. They're using lupini beans. It's absolutely smooth and delicious. I did a demo at this Plant-Based World Expo, a dessert demo, and I was assisted by two essential vegan dessert graduates who were absolutely wonderful. Regina Heron and Olga Inyatavaya, both graduated from Essential Vegan Desserts and have their own businesses now. And they were wonderful assistants and it was wonderful to catch up with them. I also had Chef Kathy Gold working with me and Maxine, a woman named, a chef, a caterer, who's a friend of Regina's named Maxine. It really sometimes takes a lot of people, but Everybody was so excited about the cake, which is the cake in the course, the chocolate cake to live for. I did chocolate pudding and we built a blackout cake. So that was really super fun. And if anyone is coming to the Natural Products Expo in Philadelphia, send an email to me and let me know and maybe we can hook up. That's in, let's see, that's in September, toward the end of September. So I will be there. Now I've got a couple of the usual housekeeping. I want to take care of some of the housekeeping before I get started answering questions and going further. If you have a question for me, and I'm going to try my hardest to answer all of your questions, right on the right side of your screen, there is a queue and you can just type your question in there and I will get to it. Um, I may, as I do sometimes, ask a follow-up question of you if I don't fully understand or if somebody has something else to say about it, 
you know, then type in your question. I want to wish a very warm welcome to my September Essential Vegan Dessert students. They started on September 7th. Although that said, Ruby now has rolling enrollment, so you can begin a course just as soon as you register. But officially speaking, Essential Vegan Dessert started last week on September 7th. There is still time to enroll for that course. I want to welcome graduates, those in the course, other Ruby students, and all of my guests. Students in Essential Vegan Desserts, if you haven't already joined our private Facebook group, please do that. It's a great place to ask questions. Oh, maybe you want a new mixer and you want some opinions, other questions, share your experiences. But for questions of a technical nature, write to support at ruby.com. And anyone here can write to me at fran at ruby.com for further questions. So I hope that you will take advantage of all of that. I'm going to get right to the questions now. And I have one from Alfreda K. How can potatoes, French fry, be cut frozen, oil and sort? and salt free. So that's a question of, from someone who is either following a whole food plant-based, no oil diet, or wants to do her potatoes that way. Now I do from time to, I do follow a very healthy whole food diet, but for, to answer this question, I went to my friend, Chef Char Nolan. She is the goddess of plant-based whole food, whole food, plant-based, no oil. She also is um, part of the Ruby staff. And honestly, I think her name is really getting more and more out there. If you don't know Char, look her up. Char Nolan is featured in the new New York Times bestselling book by Ann and Jane Esselstyn. It, the title is Be a Plant-Based Woman Warrior, Live Fierce, Stay Bold, and Eat Delicious. So this is what Char had to say about that. One, if the potatoes are raw, align in an array on a sheet pan and flash freeze. Once frozen completely, place portions in an airtight container. Always label and date your food. That is something that's super important. I go through my freezer regularly I'm and my pantry and I always label and date my ingredients and my food and occasionally I miss one and then I don't know what it is. Flash freezing in a single layer is going to prevent clumping from freeze clumps from freezing and pieces will cook evenly. So the answer really is go ahead and do it. You won't have a problem. Here's a question from Susan M. Hi, Susan. She writes, I just purchased your book, More Good, Great, More Great Good, Dairy-Free Desserts Naturally. That's a mouthful, isn't it? And that was the book I did previous to Vegan Chocolate. And Susan is wondering if I can recommend a recipe or two for her to start out with. Um, she says something easy for a beginner that's missing sweets. So what I would say, Susan, is think about what it is that you enjoy eating. Think about the equipment and ingredients that you have in your home. That will help you decide. All the recipes are easy. If you, I mean, here's the thing about recipes read them all the way through. They should be really clear. If anyone who can read and follow directions can do a recipe, of course, the really operative, the real important thing is make sure that the recipe comes from someone who is reliable. But if you don't want to do a component cake, for example, Susan, I think wonderful dessert is to make a fruit gel and we use agar which is a sea vegetable that has been used for millennia in asian cuisine it replaces bovine gelatin it's very easy to do 
And another thing that you can make is a fruit slump, which is a cooked fruit filling with a one bowl, just one bowl, biscuit topping that you plop on top and then cover the pot and it's good to go. So let's have a look at the video on how to use agar and make to make this blended gel. To make a basic fruit gel, start by hydrating the agar with a liquid. In this case, we are using an organic, sugar-free apple juice. Once the agar has hydrated, add the lemon zest. Over medium-low heat, bring the liquid to a boil, stirring once or twice to ensure the agar has been fully incorporated. As soon as the mixture comes to a boil, reduce the heat and cover to prevent the liquid from evaporating. When ready, there should be no specks of agar present in the liquid. To test the consistency of the final gel, pour a little bit of the liquid into a small bowl, along with some of the fruit and refrigerate for approximately 10 minutes or so. When ready, the mixture should be nice and firm like this. Once done, remove the lemon zest and discard. Next, slowly whisk in the slurry and bring to a gentle boil. As soon as the mixture comes to a boil, remove the pot from the heat. Next, add the fruit and stir to ensure that the fruit is fully coated with the gel. At this point, pour the mixture into a shallow casserole dish and cool at room temperature for approximately 15 minutes. Then place the mixture into the refrigerator and let set for another 20 to 30 minutes. Once set, the dish can be served as is or it can be blended. Puree the mixture until you reach your desired consistency. If desired, Top with a few tablespoons of vanilla pastry cream and garnish with some homemade graham cracker crumbs and fresh mint. So, okay, so there is an example of learning to use a foundational ingredient for making vegan desserts, agar. We want the agar to hydrate. There are three different forms. And I go through all of that in that cookbook and even more in depth in the course because it is a very important ingredient. There are no calories. It is said to be soothing to the intestinal, to your <laughs> intestinal area. I don't know. It's very, agar is super, super healthy and it is more than it is useful for more than just making gels. But here's a recipe that you can make. You don't have to turn on your oven. You do want to measure carefully. Measuring is something that is very important. You want to do a test. And I go over why you do a test in the course. If your gel is softer than you intend it to be, then you can cool it down and add some more agar and start again. If it's thicker than your intention, you add more liquid. That is a naturally gluten-free, salt-free, sugar-free dessert. So it's really handy and it can be made to look just beautiful. And then another recipe I mentioned, and then I stopped, is the fruit slump. So you cook any seasonal fruit. During the summer, I use blueberries or blueberries and peaches. And this time of the year, I might do pears and cranberry. It's a great dessert to, to do for holidays or any time. And you mix together this very simple biscuit dough. It's soft. And you do it all in one bowl. And then you dollop the dough over the hot fruit, cover the pot, whatever you're using tightly, it has to cover tight, 
and the biscuits steam. And this is called a slump. Some people call it a grunt. Are the biscuits slumping into the fruit or are they grunting as they cook? This is an early American dessert and it's just wonderful. So go for it and let me know what you make. Now, Kathleen says, I visited a vegan bakery and practically everything I saw was very shiny. It made everything look beautiful. How do you make your vegan pastries shiny? Well, that's really interesting to me that everything was shiny. That sounds almost to me a little bit old fashioned and in the French style, but there are ways to what, what you're talking about is really a vegan egg wash was, well, they a vegan egg wash was used. That's one way either to create a shiny fish finish or to create a barrier. Um, I can get a very shiny finish when my ganache is beautifully made, but there are a couple of ways to make a vegan egg wash. The simplest is to use a rich plant milk, plain, just the plant milk. I would use soy milk. If you're not avoiding soy, I do not avoid soy um, or oat milk. You can add a very small amount of a liquid sweetener, like agave, for example, will help. Reduced aquafaba is used as a vegan egg wash. Just use a syrup, rice or maple syrup. Don't forget about rice syrup. It is a wonder, it has a beautiful sheen. It's a little on the thick side, a little bit more neutral in flavor than maple maybe, but it, it tastes a little bit like caramel to me. Some people use oil. Coconut oil is used as an egg wash. I don't particularly do that. Or if you're making a vegan fruit tart, I like using a very light layer of an agar fruit gel or coulis on top of the fruit to make a beautiful tart. And you would do that in the same way that you you slightly the same way that you use the um, agar in the film that we showed you. So I hope that helps Kathleen. Now Celeste has a question about bread. I need help in navigating the timing for bread. In my kitchen, my bread bakes at 350, I'm assuming Fahrenheit for 35 minutes. It comes out golden brown, perfect. In the commercial oven, 350 for 35 minutes, I get a darker bread. It still looks good, but not to my liking. Well, here's the thing, Celeste and everyone else. Ovens are all really different. They just are. In my home, for example, I have a standard oven, just a regular oven, because as someone who develops and tests recipes for the general public, I don't want to have some fancy oven. I have a countertop oven, a breville, which I can get two cake pans in there or a quarter sheet pan, and I use convection bake. Recently, I made a couple of layers and sheets of the chocolate cake to live for. I The ones that I baked in my radiant heat oven, my standard oven, took 25 to 28 minutes. The ones I did in my convection oven, although it's just a countertop convection oven, took only 15 minutes. Convection bakes faster. And then uh, in a commercial convection oven, there's usually a much bigger difference. I did a demo in July for American Culinary Federation and the chef who helped me is an ACF certified chef. In fact, he got a medal, Kirk Keefe, at the conference, but he's also a grad and he's also a graduate of Essential Vegan Desserts. So I said, hey, you know, want to help me make these cakes? I needed tasting for 200 people. Well, what we did, Celeste, was we baked off just one first because we were using big commercial ovens. That way we could judge the time. So really what you're going to have to do is just test your commercial ovens. And generally speaking, I'm assuming your, convec your commercial oven is a convection. 
then you want to drop the temperature. They say 25 to 30%. Get to know your ovens. Everybody get some oven thermometers in your ovens as well. So I hope that helps you. Now, Jean has a question about canned raw tomatoes per a particular website. She says the pot lid was on during the 85 minutes, but the water evap. She followed the recipe. The water evaporated down below the jar lids. Jar lids did pop. Are they safe to eat? Well, let me tell you. I don't. I'm not someone who does canning, and canning is something that many people are doing and has to be done safely. So I went to the source. I went to my expert, which her name is Mar Marissa McClellan foodinjars.com. And Marissa has written a number of books on canning her food in jars series. And this is what Marissa said. Let me, I want to actually read it to you. Her answer is it's not an ideal way to process tomatoes, but it's not the end of the world. I'd advise that they mark those jars to be the first ones used and go make sure to check your tomatoes halfway through to ensure the water level drops. I typically keep my electric kettle hot when canning tomatoes to ensure that I have hot water to add to the pot should it be necessary. So I hope that helps you. Um, I want to say that, you know, I told you that I don't do canning, but whenever I am doing, <clears throat> excuse me, cooking or making desserts, I keep my electric kettle going in case I need some hot water. So last night I was cooking beans. And sometimes if I want to add some waters, I was taught in the beginning of time, in the beginning of time, like 30, 25 years ago when I was at the Natural Gourmet after New York Restaurant School, and Marie, Dr. Emery Colbin taught us to cook beans. She'd say, shock them as they're cooking with some cold water. I cook most of my beans in my Instant Pot, but I was cooking lentils on the stovetop because they cook so easily. And I just added a little bit of hot water from my kettle. So that's something, <clears throat> excuse me, that you can, hi, Roseanne. I'm just going to stop here and take a sip because <clears throat> I feel like I have a little something in my throat. Vegans don't say frogs in their throat. I have to think of what to say. So Roseanne says that she'd like to take the plant-based dessert course. Well, I would love you. I would love to work with you. I co-created the course with the Ruby team and I am your, I am your instructor. I'm the lead instructor for the course and I will be working with you directly. So the question is, when does the next, when does the course open? It's still permissible to join the September 7th course. That will be fine, but let me see if I can find the dates. Then after September 7th, the next course opens on October 11th, then November 8th, and then January 4th. Oh, January 4th is my daughter's birthday, I will say. Happy birthday, Tracy, on the day that the course starts. But what Ruby is doing now is as soon as you register, you can start. So you could register today and jump into the September 7th course if you would like to do that. Um, but I look forward to working with you. So let's see, here's an interesting question about wraps from Ann O. I love wraps with veggies, but they often drip with liquid from cooking or from tomatoes. How do I avoid this? Well, I could just tell you, eat fast. Now, um, I drain my vegetables before I put them in a wrap and the same thing with tomatoes, but you can, and then, you know, if it is going to be a particularly juicy wrap and you know that because you're the one building it, then you want to keep the bottom maybe in some parchment paper or something to hold it. But think about adding a thicker mixture to your vegetables. Hummus comes to mind, avocado mashed comes to mind, and that's what I would do. 
when I'm draining vegetables that are particularly juicy in order to do something like make a wrap, I always save the liquid because generally it has just a wonderful, wonderful flavor. So good luck with your wraps. And then, you know, wear a napkin. Hi, Char. Look at that. I mentioned Char. She helped me with the potato question. And any of your whole food plant-based, no oil questions should go to Char. So Char's question is about chia egg. After making a chia egg, do you recommend adding the chia mixture to a blender to smooth out the egg? That's a great question, Char. Thank you for asking it. I don't. I think it would be so hard to get out of any kind of a blender. But here's what I do. I put the ground chia, and this would be the same thing if you're using ground flax. They both have to be ground, even though chia seeds are much smaller than flax. Then I put the recommended amount of water. I pour that over the ground chia that's in a bowl. Do not stir. I don't stir. I set my timer for like three minutes. <laughs> this has been my timer lately. And then I take a fork after three minutes and I stir. And then I walk away and I repeat that three times and you get an absolutely smooth chia egg that way. And I have discovered that you can do them ahead of time and keep them in your refrigerator for a few days, always whisking before you use them. So I hope that helps, Char. Kathy G, Chef Gold is here. And anyone here who is interested in learning about vanilla, and that is a super important ingredient, vanilla rounds out flavors of dessert, even acts, I think, as a sweetener. Chef Kathy did a live event with me all about vanilla, and you can find it in the Essential Vegan Desserts Library. So Kathy also has a question about flax eggs. Well, the question is, what's your opinion about mixing egg replacers in the same recipe? For example, is there a benefit in using flax eggs and one something else? I think oftentimes you get a best result by mixing egg replacers. So sometimes I will hydrate chia, actually using aquafaba instead of water. Almost always when you're talking about chia or flax eggs, understand that they bind, they don't leaven. So I use a bit more leavener, and I'm talking about baking powder and baking soda. I mean, leavening is really interesting to me because when I left the traditional pastry kitchen, I was working as a traditional pastry chef. I was trained traditionally. And then I wanted to do more, you know, I wanted to do all vegan. I became, I became a vegan. Um, there were no commercially available egg replacers at the time. No one had heard of a chia egg or a flax egg, certainly not aquafaba. So my egg, my eggs, I didn't really use, I didn't use any of that. And I looked historically and when war, during wartime, eggs were either not available or in very short supply. And so I looked at wartime recipes, baking powder, baking soda, vinegar. I think vinegar really creates a tender mouthfeel. So yes, the short answer to that, Kathy, is yes, I think there is some benefit in using one or the other. All right, Gail has a follow-up question to Kathy's and she said, ground chia like you grind the seeds? Yes, I grind the seeds. I don't buy ground flax. I have never, I've seen it. I don't, I've never seen ground chia. So I do. And what I have is a, you know, I have a Vitamix, the tall container. I have a shorter container that is for grinding oats and wheat and things like that. But it, you know, I don't grind tons of flax and chia at one time. I have a small 
grinder. It's a Cuisinart grinder with a top that goes like that. And that's what I use to grind my flax. For example, I grind flax once a week. I keep it in my refrigerator. That's for my morning oatmeal or if I need to make a flax egg. And I grind some chia as well. And I have it available. To me, this is mise en place. I don't want to say, oh, I'm going to make a recipe today. Oh, I need a tablespoon of ground flax or ground chia. I mean, I'll do it if I have to, but I would rather have it <clears throat> already done. So thank you for that question. Susan has a question about her wild mushroom gravy for shepherd's pie. She says it came out a bit overpowering and a bit salty. She used chaga mushroom powder and wondering if this is the culprit. She was happy with the texture and thickness. Is there a powder I recommend? Well, Susan, I went to another expert to get the answer. I thought I knew the answer to your question, which is, it sounds to me like you perhaps oversalted your gravy or oversalted it to your taste. You know, you can always add more salt to adjust, but it's really hard to undo something that's too salty. So I went to my friend, Jill Nussenau, the veggie queen. You can go to the veggiequeen.com. Jill is an, a she's a registered dietitian. She is vegan. She's a mushroom expert and a pressure cooking expert. She wrote the book, um, Vegans Under Pressure, which is absolutely worthwhile just for the charts. And if you want to use a pressure cooker, your Instant Pot. But she does a lot with mushrooms. She even goes to mushroom camp in the summertime, once every summer. Uh, and this is what Jill said. Chaga is not salty. And she has never used it in a culinary manner. She only uses it for medicine. So she and I recommend porcini or shiitake powder. And I hope that that helps you. And, and, you know, you can reach out to Jill. You can reach out to Marissa. These are wonderful people. So Dana has a really interesting question. And there is no exact or very specific is what I mean answer that I can give Dina. And she says, she's asking if I know roughly what the hourly rate would be for a plant-based chef to cook for a family. Dina, a lot goes into that decision and it's a personal decision for you. Where are you in the country? Rates vary depending on cities or <laughs> yeah, or the suburb, wherever you are in the country, that's going to make some difference. Also, are you going to be cooking in their kitchen or are you going to be preparing meals offsite? Regardless, I want to put a post-it note here and tell anybody who is making food for other people, make sure that you are serve, save, certified, please. That's very, very important to, to get that certification and you will learn a lot and, and it will make you a safer chef. If you're in any of the Ruby courses, we do have part of the syllabus is dedicated to food safety, but the Save Serve certification is very important. I'm Save Serve Manager certified, and I'm going to, and so is Char Nolan and Kathy, most of my friends, and we're going to have to re-up it at some point. It takes some studying, but it's worthwhile having. So you want to think about how much time you're putting into the work. You, who's, you're going to shop, are is your price going to include ingredients or is that an add-on? What about your transportation? What about your containers? How many meals are you going to be making a week for them? Are you making fresh meals in their kitchen or are you making meal, you know, that they're going to eat that night? Or are you making meals where you're leaving them breakfast, lunch, and dinner marked and how to heat them, how to finish the foods. So I have seen everything from 25 an hour, which is really too low. I would never do that, you know, to $100 an hour and $500 an hour. And you might want to do, instead of an hourly, 
you might want to do a project rate. I do know that since the pandemic, the price for personal chefs has really skyrocketed. So, you know, you don't want to gouge anyone, but you want to be paid for your time. So Blanca has a question here and it is, well, thank, she says, thank you for having office hours. as well. I appreciate that. Um, it's different for me. And she said, Blanca says, I noticed that when I use vegan chia egg, so we've talked a lot about chia eggs today, my muffins or cake come out a bit dense. They still taste great to me. Well, that's really important, but I wonder if there's a way to make them a bit lighter or fluffier. Well, Blanca and everyone else, there most definitely is. When I serve cake, so for example, at the American Culinary Federation convention where I served 200 plates of chocolate cake to live for ganache glazed, it is safe to say that maybe 1% <laughs> of the attendees were plant-based. So these are people with traditional palates, many pastry chefs, fine chefs used to a cake with a lovely interior light interior with a lovely crumb. And my intention is to serve something where you can't tell it's vegan unless you're being told. It shouldn't be dense. It shouldn't be heavy. It shouldn't be gummy. It should be great. And your question really is one of the reasons that I wanted to create this course with Ruby, because you've got to learn foundational technique in order to make a light, lovely, batter-based dessert. And by batter-based, I mean a cake or a muffin or a cupcake. Some people say a muffin is just a naked cupcake. I don't know. Any, you know, cornbread, anything. Now, when it depends, if you're taking the oil at the fat out of a cake as whole food plant-based, no oil, forks over knives. People do that and there's nothing wrong with it, but the cake is going to be denser. Some of you already know that I made Rip Esselstyn's wedding cakes. I made the chocolate cake that I've referenced a few times, the chocolate cake to live for, but I made it fat-free to accommodate the whole food plant-based Esselstyn family. Um, it was denser. It wasn't heavy though. It wasn't heavy. It was just denser. It was almost fudgier. So, you know, I thought it was different. That would not necessarily be my choice of cake. I prefer a more delicate cake, but it's very good. And I have certainly used it. So it isn't just about the chia. It's about a lot of things. It's about the kind of flour that you use or flowers, because mixing flowers is a good thing. It's about the technique that you use. Are you whisking your dry ingredients before you make your cakes and muffins? Are you using enough liquid? Is your plant milk or water you know, correct? Is the proportion correct? Are you using enough leaveners? So that's what I would say. Yes, there's a way to make them lighter and fluffier. There's a place for both. And if you want to learn more, I would recommend that you take a look at this course. Now, Michelle says, seems like I have noticed that the dry saute method for garlic and onions is definitely more aromatic than with oil and the aroma permeates my house for days. Am I just noticing more or does cooking with oil oil somehow release more of the aroma? That's a really interesting question. The next time, because I saute both ways, sometimes I use olive oil. A lid, I always use just the smallest amount, but sometimes I do. And sometimes I do a water saute, which I did not know how to do until I got involved with Ruby. There's a wonderful video in the plant-based professional course. <laughs> it is an amazing video that shows you're heating the pan. This is not a nonstick pan and a water ball, go ball goes in and it, how they got that shot. That's 
one of the beautiful things about Ruby is the tights are, the shots are so tight, you really get to see things, shows you when the pan is really hot enough. So you may not be surprised now that I went to Chef Char Nolan to find out the answer or to be able to give you a complete answer to your question because Char does far more water sautés than I do. And this is what Char said. Oil can coat the release of true aromas. The steam release provides the pure basics of the aromatics. There's no oil barrier. So that is the second. The latter is your water sauté. Sauté. And she adds that due to the mints of the shallots and mints of the garlic, the aromas will permeate more because the flavors transfuse more easily through small cuts of aromatics. And that would hold whether you're doing a water saute or an oil saute. So I hope that helps. My goodness, it permeates your house <laughs> for days. Well, you know, my mother, you don't know, but I'm going to tell you, my mother did not like to cook. But every once in a while, she would just saute up some onions just for the aromatic smell and, you know, aroma in the house. And it always feels like people have been cooking for days. So we have a link to a forks over knives, plant-based cooking, how to cook without oil that you can have a look at. And it's here in the Q&A. So I hope that will help. And thank you, Char, for helping me with these questions. So Mary Jo has a question. What appliance do you think is best for grinding granulated sugar into castor sugar? That's a good question, Mary. Thank you for asking it. I want to start by saying that all vegan sugar or organic sugar, which is vegan sugar, and then I always go one more step and I want to use fair trade sugar, if you really look at the different brands in the store, you will see that the colors vary from very, very pale tan to slightly darker, from quite fine looking to a little bit darker. However, even the most fine organic vegan sugar the individual sugar crystal is larger than a white sugar crystal. So when I bring my new batch of organic cane sugar into the house, this is what I do. I divide it up. So I rough up the sugar that I'm going to use for my cakes, the sugar that doesn't have to be castor sugar. And if there's anyone here who is unfamiliar with the term we're talking about, we in the States call it super fine sugar and across the pond it's known as castor sugar. And it is important. So I rough my sugar up in my food processor and then I put it in an airtight jar with the label that says roughed up sugar and the date. Then to make castor sugar, I do it in quantity and I put it in an airtight container and mark it. I use a high speed blender. I use my Vitamix to make castor sugar. That's what I do. If I needed just a little bit, maybe I would use my spice grinder, but I never do just a little bit. So yes, I think a, a high speed blender is best. It might work in a blender. I haven't had an ordinary blender in a long time because I burned so many out. And then I went to the high speed blender time. Terry Lynn, hi, it's nice to see you. Terry Lynn wants to know if I have a reliable source for organic raw cocoa paste for chocolate making. Well, Terry Lynn, I know that you're working with Amy Levin. Amy Levin is a very well-known, very, very capable raw chef who does a lot with chocolates and she is in the UK and you can find her information. Um, she did a live event with me that was really fabulous about desserts. So I don't use raw cacao paste because I don't make chocolates that way, Terilyn. But there are, I think you could do a search of many of the companies 
cacao paste is nothing more than unsweetened chocolate. So unsweetened chocolate has a few names. It's called uh, coke. Co it's not really called cocoa paste. It's cacao paste or it's chocolate liqueur. And there are many organic ones. And raw is a term that I always... I'm going to tell you this. There is no such thing as truly raw chocolate. And this has this was verified by Amy during the live event. It has been verified by chocolate makers. Thank you, Richard, for the link. All chocolate is when it when the beans come out of the pod, they are laid out to ferment. During the fermentation process, the temperatures naturally go above what is allowable for an ingredient to be called raw. And so I prefer the term unroasted. And so does Amy. And so do most pastry chefs. So it is unroasted chocolate paste as opposed or unroasted chocolate as opposed to raw. So, you know, I use, I said, I've said that for years. And then I always want to make sure that the information I had early on still holds. Um, so I go back and I ask people who have an expertise in a particular area. And I do want to say that one of the absolute best things about culinary is no matter how long you have been a culinary professional, there's always something more to learn. And Chef Jacques Pepin, the renowned Chef Jacques Pepin said the very same thing. Oh, hi, Regina. So here's Regina. I mentioned her earlier. Regina was one of the essential, one of the two uh, assistants who graduated from essential vegan desserts that helped me so ably at my dessert demo. In fact, Regina made the chocolate pudding that was made ahead that we used for the tastings. And then I had her cook it on the stage with me. And that's a lot of confidence because I like to do, <laughs> I like to do my own cooking when I'm going to be presenting things to people, but I had absolute confidence in Regina and she did a great job. And Regina is now has her own business. So, I had a great time meeting you doing the demo. Well, thank you. Do I have a suggestion for a tasty, savory, vegan breakfast item? Oh my gosh, there are so many. Regina, I like making muffins uh, using oats, both oat flour and oatmeal. Um, you can add some greens if you want, you know, chopped up greens if you want to that or fruit and greens that would be really great um i think there are so many if anybody has an idea that comes to your mind i'm assuming you want something that will hold that you'll be able to sell but i think a muffin a very nice moist muffin would be a great thing to make cornbread with corn in it uh, is a wonderful breakfast item i often have I love cornbread. I like it with beans. I like it plain. I like it as a pancake. So you can do cornbread with additions. You can add, I mentioned corn, but you could saute some other vegetables, onions, peppers, and corn would be wonderful in your cornbread. So I hope that helps. And thank you again for your help. Hi, Laura. Oh, it's nice to see friends here who've gone through the course and I know in life. So she, Laura has a question. She's asking how I store my aquafaba. Every time she uses a can of chickpeas, I save it in the fridge, but I haven't frozen it. It's too precious to pour down the drain. It's super too precious to pour down the drain. So if anyone here doesn't know the term aquafaba, this, what we're talking about is the liquid either in a can of chickpeas or the liquid that is created when you're cooking chickpeas from scratch. And some years ago, a Frenchman named Goose Wobit discovered 
that you could whip it and make meringue, just like an egg white. Later on, we learned that it can also be an egg replacer. So we have a whole unit in essential vegan desserts, as Laura knows, because she is a graduate, on using aquafaba. Many recipes say open a can of chickpeas, preferably unsalted, drain the liquid, start beating and make meringue. And, you know, well, first of all, I didn't believe it when I first saw it, but I made it. But the first time I drained a can, I thought this is not very reliable. I mean, if you're a pastry chef, you want formulas that are going to work. Some cans had three quarters of a cup of liquid aquafaba. Some had two thirds of a cup. So I found by whipping the meringue, by whipping the aquafaba using the same technique as you would when you're making egg white meringue. In other words, you add some cream of tartar or an acid and castor sugar that I was getting different results. I wanted to standardize the result and I discovered by doing, you know, sometimes people say to me, well, how do I say, so sometimes you have to test. I reduce the amount of liquid from a can, a typical can by about between a half and a third until I have a half cup. And I usually put a small amount in my refrigerator and it becomes more viscous like egg white. Then I cool it and I put it in the freezer frozen aquafaba, frozen defrosted aquafaba works a charm. It works great. I have a freezer full as a matter of fact right now, because I like to eat chickpeas. So I cook chickpeas from dry chickpeas in my instant pot. That liquid has to be treated a bit differently. It's still, you want to add a stick of kombu seaweed to that. I add kombu seaweed to all of my beans don't add any salt, don't add any, you know, garlic if you're going to be, if you want to use the aquafaba for desserts. I did a live event early, early on with Ju Deaver, who wrote the book called Aquafaba. And you can look at that live event as well. And it's used as, it was used as suggestion, I'm fumbling here, to add the kombu. But you get much more liquid when you're cooking chickpeas in a pressure cooker. Then in that case, I reduce the amount of liquid by at least a half, sometimes more. I measure it up usually into one quarter cup containers because sometimes I just whip a quarter of a cup. More often I whip a half cup. I label it. I date it and I put it in the coldest part of my freezer. Then Laura, just defrost it when you're ready because you do want to use your reduced aquafaba while it's cold. I just think that it works best. Now, there are people who disagree with me who say you don't have to reduce it. But if you want a reliable result every single time, and don't we all want a reliable result? Well, then I would say do it friend's way. And here's something else from Laura. She's been researching Okinawan cuisine and wondered how you feel about black sugar. Oh, that's a terrific question. I actually recently bought some black sugar. Uh, it, it is supposed to be healthier. Um, it tastes pretty delicious to me. But, you know, I... I'm going to say I hesitate or I'm going to go beyond hesitate to say I never say that a sweetener is healthy. Does maple syrup contain minerals? Yeah, and some, yes. The sweeteners that we use in essential vegan desserts are the more natural sweeteners. We don't use any white, any white refined sugar. They do all retain some of the fiber, some of the minerals and vitamins that are naturally in the whole sweeteners. They've been processed, but you know, I'm not going to drink a cup of maple syrup to get my healthy, if you know what I mean, um, 
and there are degrees. So coconut sugar will have more of the, you know, more nutrients than organic cane sugar, for example, but organic cane sugar still retains some of the molasses that's inherent in the cane, unlike white sugar, or even commercial brown sugar, which is just white sugar with molasses, which is extracted from the cane, sprayed on it. So it is one of their staples for dessert. I don't know that I would say it's healthy, but I definitely like it, Laura, and I'm going to start using it more. So, you know, let's exchange notes on that. And if anybody has had experience using this Okinawan black sugar, let us know. I actually, it's just wonderful. It has a Japanese name and um, it's very interesting. It's very interesting. Gail says, I joined late. Can you say more about your course? Well, I'd be happy too. So Essential Vegan Desserts is a 90-day course. That is three months. Extensions are possible. It is a self-paced course and you can access it from any device, anywhere, anytime when it's convenient for you. The best thing to do, Gail, is to have a look at the syllabus. You can do that. Um, I think we can get the link in here and it will show you what you will learn. It is not a live class. You will see me in the course in some pre-recorded uh, discussions. There are a lot of video recipes that are very detailed. We showed one today early, um, but it is absolutely, there is no other course like this in the world. I was so, I felt so privileged to be able to work with Ruby to do such a detailed course in the specifics of vegan desserts, which is why we called it essential vegan desserts. I have had thousands of students at this time over the five years since we created the course. Some are absolute beginners who literally have to take they're using their ovens, particularly people who live in cities, in small apartments, using their ovens maybe as an extra storage area to professional chefs who are working in the business, who, who are teaching. And this is an accredited course. Uh, successful completion, you have to get a particular grade in order to graduate successfully. The course is accredited by American Culinary Federation for Continuing Education Credits, World Chefs, Dietetics Association. And I think it's just wonderful. And I think the best thing to do is take a look at it. It is really, I'm very proud of this course. And my last question, just on time, Nancy says, what's your famous, your favorite cream cheese in 2022? I use the TJ's cream cheese in your cupcakes and it didn't work, Tofuti works. Nancy, there are so many cream cheeses today. It's unbelievable, honestly. So um, I, when Nancy's refer, and there were so many more, even new ones for me that I saw at the Plant-Based World Expo last week. Um, the TJ's cream cheese should have worked what I, Nancy's talking about, some of you may have seen what's called a black bottom cupcake. It's a naturally vegan cupcake. And then you make a cream cheese filling. There's an egg in it and some chocolate chips usually. And I veganized it in my, for my cookbook, vegan chocolate. And it's really nice recipe. But one day I got curious and I made the cream cheese filling three different ways. The way it's written in the book is with a chia gel to replace the egg. The second batch that I did, and of course, I, when I'm testing, I scaled the recipe down by half. And I had my tasters lined up with specific questions. And the second batch was done with a commercially, a commercial egg replacer prepared as directed. And I believe I used Bob's Red Milk. 
And the third one was with aquafaba. And they all behaved differently, very differently, as a matter of fact. They were all good. They were just different. I preferred the original one from my book with the chia gel. So, you know, I have I don't know why it didn't work or in what way you mean it doesn't work, but I think that the TJ Trader Joe's cream cheese and tofuti are probably the closest. So maybe you want to try Kite Hill or Miyoko's or any of the others. I'm sorry, Nancy, you can send an email to me at fran at ruby.com and let me know more specifically what the problem with the cupcakes was. Well, I want to thank everyone for coming. Um, I hope to see you next month in October for a live event. I will have a topic. If you have some particular topics that you'd like me to, you know, do my live events around, let me know. I'm on my way to Las Vegas this week to do some demonstrations for the Puritos Corporation. They are an international company that has wonderful chocolate, bread, and confections. And this is the big bakery show. So I think I'm going to learn a lot while I'm there. Everyone, please stay well, stay healthy, be sensible, eat healthfully and stay in touch with the people that you care about. Thank you for being here. Bye.